All right, everybody, welcome to the Alley Oop. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast so far. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the program, whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify or Google or wherever you're listening. Would be awesome if you could leave that positive review to help us grow the show. On this episode, I've got a very special guest, Brandon Duenas, who covers the Phoenix Suns for us. He's at AZ Sports Zone on Twitter does a fantastic job covering the Suns for various platforms, including Bright Side of the Sun, and he has been tremendous for us. So going to be chatting all about the Suns in the first segment, and then in the second segment, we're chatting about the scariest NBA players to face in the last 25 years. That was a fun discussion, a fun trip down memory lane, and kind of a nice reprieve from all the, the serious basketball discussion. We just wanted to have some fun, and I think that that will be a tremendous fun time for you to listen to. So make sure to tune in, make sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you ask me the best possible way to support my work, that is probably it. Subscribing to the channel, watching some of those videos, doing a great job over there, uh, cutting up some clips and, and doing different things. It has been awesome and a really interesting experience to try to get into. So if you enjoy NBA video content, go follow The Alley Oop with Ryan Blackburn. All right, without further ado, here is the alley-oop. Run, two on one, green the finish. Wow, the alley-oop. Inside! He made Yusuf Nurkic a screensaver. Here comes Murray, alley-oop to Gordon. Oh, what a play. All right, joined now by Brandon Duenas, who runs AZ Sports Zone for Phoenix. Uh, thank you so much for covering the Suns for us here on the Alley Oop. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you, said, you said it was a pretty busy day heading into this Monday. I know the, the Suns have been pretty busy lately. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a chaotic day for me work wise, and obviously all the, the Suns things going on, and it's, you know, the, the grind never stops in, in the NBA. So definitely excited <laughs> to jump on here and give some updates. Uh, because lots changed just from the last time we, we recorded. Grind never stops. I uh, I was going to be one of my questions actually about just just how your your opinions have changed, maybe how things have changed mm-hmm. for the Suns, and because I, I remember the last time we talked about this team and Bradley Beal mm-hmm. and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant were all playing. They were all scoring a bunch of points in the preseason, and things were feeling good that you could see the vision. And so far this season, the Suns three and four record. Kevin Durant's averaging over 35 minutes a game and played all seven games. Devin Booker's only played two. Bradley Beal's played zero. Uh, what's going on? Like, I, I, I'm, I think I'm most curious just like talking to somebody who actually might know, why is this taking so long for the Beal debut? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, like you said, it's not the, uh, the start a lot of people envisioned, especially at the preseason where it looked like we saw in a very limited sample, just kind of a quick vision of what it's going to look like. And then all of a sudden, you know, Booker has an injury that kind of appears out of nowhere. Beal has one that appears out of nowhere right before the season begins. Uh, did they rush Booker back? Possibly. I think the fact that he's had two separate injuries in that same area uh, kind of speaks to that, just overcompensating. And, and then with the Beal situation, it just seems to me like they're trying to be overly cautious. Uh, it, it is November. So that's, that's the one thing like I, we, like in general, I see a lot of people with like very strong takes one way or the other. I try to kind of be level-headed on this. Like, you know, not your, your season's not going to be like, it's not make or break in, in November. So that's, that's the one thing for me is like, just get these guys healthy. 
Uh, obviously, they've had some a couple losses that were right in their hands. Like they could very easily be uh, sitting here with like five or six wins, but instead, you know, they're they're still down two guys, and and uh, you know, it seems like the, the sky is falling if you're on Suns Twitter right now. And and I, I feel like I'm the voice of reason here, where it's like, you know, they still we still have to see them. Like it's it, it's more of a if than when at this point. Uh, but if we get to see these three together, that's when you can really start to make uh, your judgment of what they're going to look like come playoff time. But until then, it's just a bunch of hypotheticals, really. Yeah, I mean, I know the Clippers and then the Nets, they've they've gotten labeled as the greatest hypothetical teams of all time. But if we never, ever get to see Bradley Beal play, then that that might that moniker might change here. Uh, like you said, though, it's it's going it seems like it's very cautious. They are going to take their time yeah. with it not going to be something that you stress about in the early months of the season. Although it does, like you said, it feels like Suns fans are getting a little antsy. Uh, are there, are there any positive words of affirmation that, that you can offer to them in, in this difficult time? Yes. A couple of things. Uh, Beal is definitely getting closer just for those that are not following the Suns as closely. Like he, he had an intense workout before that Philly game. Uh, there's a chance he was going to play uh, on Wednesday, but now it's looking like Friday's kind of the, the target date that we're getting. So he is getting closer. Uh, Booker, I have no idea what's going on with that situation at this point, uh, but I would imagine they'd be more cautious. But my optimistic side is the year they made the finals in 2021, they started the season 8-8, eight and eight, and the year that the Mavericks blew them out in the second round, they didn't lose in November. So I don't think November really – like early season doesn't really have any correlation. Obviously, you want to see them play and get those reps. I think it's important. I'm not trying to – belittle that and I think seeding is very important too like you don't want to face Denver in the second round um, and you want to try to get as high of a seed as you can to avoid some some like unfavorable playoff matchups but uh, at the same time like I, I'm not gonna get too worried about a slow start as long as we could just get to see that big three because like you said if, if we never get to see it then it's just gonna you know that that'd be the most Suns thing ever and we would never live it down so hopefully uh in the near future, Shams just said like seven to ten days is kind of the timeline for Booker and Beal to both return. So we'll see. Well, it's a good thing that the Suns have never had any injury issues in their franchise history, like ever, <laughs> ever when it comes ever. to nope. the playoffs. I just, just never, never, never had any anything go wrong with the with the injury issues. Yep, no, no hip checks either. Nothing like there's mm. nothing, nothing there. But hey, I mean. Positive vibes, hopefully, from Shams. So you get a week, maybe yep. 10 days of waiting to see those guys come back. And and once they do come back, I think people still have faith in this group being really, really talented, really, really good. Uh, I was really impressed with the defense at the beginning of the year, just, just those first couple of games. Things have kind of fallen by the wayside, and I think that that's, that Spurs back-to-back, not not back, but like like two games in a row, was kind of a, yeah. a watershed moment in terms of how far this team has to go on the defensive end. How do you think they have handled the early season adversity in your mind? I think they've done a pretty decent job, all things considered. Like the role players are doing their job. It's just a matter of like they're they're being asked to do a lot without two two of the engines of your offense. Like these guys once, you know, the vision when they constructed this team is that Beal and Booker are gonna kind of alternate a lot of the playmaking, Durant could do a little bit. Nurkic could pass from the top of the key. So I think once they're in their actual roles they're meant to be in, it's going to look a lot cleaner. And uh, I think that's kind of why some of their struggles have been, you know, guys in expanded roles. Like Eric Gordon's looked great every every other game. Uh, Grayson Allen, same thing. But you can't rely on these guys to 
night in night out be that that number two option and that puts a lot of stress on durant so uh, overall though i think their defensive identity like they've shown some flashes like jordan goodwin's been impressive uh josh akogi's everywhere like at all times like that guy's just a, a ball of energy and and I, I really liked what i've seen from drew eubanks too like those three kind of just have built that defensive identity of just playing hard and those are types of role players you're going to need around uh, your big three that, that do the dirty work. So I've, I've liked what I've seen from them. And, uh, you know, Utah's had some nice flashes too. But again, like I said, you, you can't rely on these guys too much. And that's why I, I'm not going to jump to too many conclusions till we see what they look like alongside uh, Beal and Booker and, and Durant, because I think that's when they're really going to flourish when there's really no pressure on them to, to be great. And they could just have a decent game, hit wide open shots. And, uh, you know, your life is a lot easier instead of, having to shoot 20 shots uh age 35 for Eric Gordon yeah it's a it's a large burden to bear at at this early stage of the season Grayson Allen's been taking some extra shots and Josh Akogi mm-hmm. has had some pressure on him like these guys are they're doing their best they're they're trying and I don't I don't really blame them for for the way that things have kind of gone but uh got a nice win against Detroit on Sunday and I, I know people are going to kind of laugh when I say that, but Detroit has actually been pretty good. Like they, they've been fine, mm-hmm. especially at the beginning of the season with Cade Cunningham. That was a fun battle to watch. KD scores 41. It looks like he hasn't missed a step at all. Uh, he looks pretty good. He looks the same. Plus 29 in the 250 Kevin Durant minutes this season, minus 18 in the 86 non-KD minutes. Uh, I do want to point out that is not enough non-KD minutes. Like. The dude is playing a yeah. lot right now in this early portion of the year, and he's just not. This isn't 2013 anymore. Like he he has got to find some opportunities to rest. And and I, I know that Frank Vogel is really putting the vice right now because not having the other two stars, you got to rely on the big guy. But I, I I hope that they can figure it out. Uh, minus 18 and 86 minutes. That's not that bad. And then I'm actually relatively impressed with the way that they've handled that. Yeah, and it feels worse, honestly, as it feels like when he's off the court, they have no chance. But uh, they, they have had some stretches where they've looked competent uh, without him. But I think that the key is uh, there's times where some of these role players will kind of revert back to it looks like they're almost like looking for permission to do stuff whenever like Durant's out there, whereas whenever he's not, sometimes they're a little more aggressive. I think that aggression just has to continue when he, when he's out there and that'll take some pressure off Durant. Because like you said, it's it's a lot to put on a you know 36 year old to especially this early in the season it's definitely not something i think that they drew up um it's just kind of a game by game basis and you know we saw that that fourth quarter against the lakers that was one of the ugliest quarters of basketball i've ever seen in my life and uh between that and then the way they they collapsed against the spurs like those are just two very winnable games that uh, could come back to bite them down the road but it it shows that even despite that they're they're not really getting blown out by teams and like the Spurs had a pretty big lead in that second game and they came back and and made a game out of that too but uh at the same time it's probably not a good thing if you're you're trying to fight back uh this early in the season and and putting heavy workloads on your stars because it's it's a marathon you can't you can't uh get someone like Durant you know too many miles before the playoffs start because they're going to need every bit of them they can get you mentioned the the Spurs. We're going to mention Victor Wembanyama later in the show. I have a feeling that, that yep. he's going to come up in our initial discussion on uh, the scariest players in the NBA to face. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to go check out that video tomorrow. Uh, but we have a lot of exciting things to talk about with the Suns still. 
one not so exciting thing is Yusuf Nurkic. Um, I think that there are some good moments with Nurk where he's passing at the high post, where he's running the offense a little bit. He's trying to make things easier for the other guys, namely Durant, where Durant, you don't have to just put him in the mid post every time, like at least try to try to free him up for a look every now and then. And like, that would be fantastic. And Nurkic does that. But we do need to talk about Yusuf Nurkic from the standpoint of him not being so great, especially on the defensive end, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think there's, like you said, there's moments where you kind of see the vision and you're like, I get it. Like he, he looks great one game and then Suns fans are like talking themselves into him. Um, and then the next game, you're just like, all right, how's this going to work in the playoffs? So it's very, it's very much up and down with him. And I think a lot of what I've uh, kind of my initial fears in that trade, like I, I said it right away that I think it's uh, just looking from a playoff construction standpoint, like he's he's not someone that you're going to be able to count on in, in your rotation. Like, I think he'll probably play in the playoffs just by necessity at this point, but that's not very encouraging. Like, I think Eubanks is going to be a, be a factor, but but overall, I think the, the center thing, like they're going to have to figure out. I think they need a, another body in there. Uh, you're not really going to be able to get make a splash at this point. You don't have the assets for that. So it's just going to have to be someone that gives them a different look and can survive defensively. And I think playing Durant at the five in the playoffs could be one uh, area that they look to explore too, just from a matchup standpoint. You don't want to do that during the regular season though, because you're already asking so much from him from a wear and tear standpoint. But in certain matchups, like going small uh, might be their best option just to give him a death offensive lineup. And, and just, you know, if the defense is going to suck anyways, like, you know, we, we can survive on that end with, you know, just having some more shooting and spacing out there. I know it's unfair. Do you think that this team would be three and four if DeAndre Ayton was still on the team? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I'm not sure the record changes, honestly. Like, they, if you look hmm. at what – I think it, it, they'd be better defensively in, in, in the sense, but uh, their, their numbers are pretty – I saw a side-by-side earlier today, and they're – pretty similar like Nurkic has an edge on some offensive stuff and Aiton's obviously been a better defender and, and rebounder but I'm not sure it really makes a huge difference maybe they have an extra win I but possible to tell really yeah I mean that's it's one of those things where I think the Suns obviously they made the bets that if mm-hmm. we bolster the rotation in this number of ways we'll have plenty of other or at least a number of other options to go to in a playoff series where Aiton yep. isn't going to make enough of a difference by himself and, and I, yeah. I don't know if that's not true. I don't know if that's true. I, I know what Yusuf Nurkic is doing right now. And I know that Drew Eubanks is as comparable of an option in, in terms of, yep. man, there, there are some things that he can do way better than Nurkic. And there are some things that he, he'll do a little bit worse. But uh, I, I'm still, when, when that trade initially happened, I was blown away. Like I, I was I was blown away that they went in that direction. And I understand why they did it. Now, uh, I still don't believe in it. I still believe in DeAndre Ayton a little bit more. And I know that Suns fans aren't going to want to hear about it. Uh, they're not going to want to uh, want to hear that at all. But uh, yeah, I just I, I don't believe in Nurkic specifically. We'll just we'll just leave it at yeah. that. Yeah, no, I think a lot of Suns fans were are kind of in agreement with you, but it was just the relationship part that would just seem like the, the bridge was just burned to the point where we just kind of had to cut ties. That's ultimately what it felt like uh, at least. And I think Grayson Allen was also a big part of that trade where, especially now with Booker and Beal missing time, like um, that's another thing to factor in and like what they'd look like if they didn't make that deal because that 
uh, it helped improve their depth. Um, and I think Allen could play some playoff minutes. I'm not sure if he's a lock to be a playoff guy yet, but he's definitely looked, uh, he's had some flashes where he's looked really good. Um, and I think he'll look better alongside Booker and Beal. So that's, that's another part of the trade that I think is a little bit underrated, but at the same time, I, I agree. I think Aiton defensively, especially in a playoff setting, just made a lot more sense than Nurkic. And I said it from the start, I was not a fan of the trade. And then I started talking myself into Nurkic a little bit, and then now I'm kind of walking myself back off that. So it's just going to be a roller coaster of emotions, I'm sure, throughout the season. We have breaking news as we are currently recording this podcast. Uh, Portland Trailblazer center Robert Williams is facing potential season-ending surgery on his knee. Um, he could also go with a cleanup for two to three months from now, or, or and be out for two to three months, and then try to come back, but. Uh, he might be out for the season. That's a guy that I had talked about. I talked myself into kind of as a as a Phoenix Suns trade target down the line. Just say, hey, like, can we can we find matching salary for a different center option that might fit even a little bit better than Nurkic? Uh, so that's a completely separate topic, completely separate thing. We'll probably revisit this kind of topic when the trade deadline gets a little bit closer. But uh, mm-hmm. I do think that there will be some other names that get thrown out there when it comes to Phoenix Suns center trade targets. Because while you did mention going Kevin Durant at the five, there is, I think, uh, there should be some hesitancy, especially in a matchup against the Nuggets, but um, more more so putting those extra miles on KD. You don't want to do that in the regular season at all, if at all possible. Exactly. um, Yeah, no doubt. I think center is definitely a... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that's definitely something down the road that will 100% pop up at the trade deadline they'll probably be active so that's that's a good call williams would have been great so check that one off yeah it's too bad (laughs) Uh, that that dude has been uh he's been cursed by bad knees um okay which of the non-primary starters have surprised you the most which of them have disappointed you the most i would say at this point it's it's tough because it's almost like a rotating door of like being impressed by one guy and then the next day he kind of lets you down a little bit. But I would say, I think Eubanks. I'm I'm a believer in uh, in terms of just he hasn't been like he hasn't done anything like out of out of the or like anything extraordinary. I would say at this point, but he looks playable. He plays very hard. Uh, his rim protection's been awesome. He's he contests everything. Like he just plays really hard, and that's that's a dude that I think could end up closing out like bearing like a, a trade for another center. Like I think he could be their guy that closes out uh, games over Nurkic, especially come playoff time. So uh, he, he's a, the first name that kind of pops up. Um, disappointing. Kata Bates Diop. Like he, he had a one really impressive game where he kind of looked like maybe he's going to get back on track. They put him back in the, they put him in the starting lineup, which I kind of like Vogel's um, willingness to experiment. Like, based on what's in front of him. That was one thing Monty did not do a lot of. He's kind of stubborn and would stick with with what he, what he believed in. Uh, Vogel's already kind of mixed and matched the lineups, but but overall Bates Diop's been a little bit uh, of a disappointment just based off the preseason hype because I remember a lot of Suns fans were saying this dude was a lock as a fifth starter. Uh, he was the best signing of the offseason, like Hollinger and a few other like reporters were just hyping it up too. So just relative to public expectation, I would say Bates Diop's been the most – uh, disappointing, but he's also shown a couple of flashes that I think he he could definitely uh, be a, be a contributor. It's just a matter of getting consistent at this point. Yeah, it's completely fair. That's the, I think the 
the problem with signing a bunch of minimum guys in general is just that that is the rotating door of production. That is kind of what you sign up for in, in that particular case. And it, yep. it has to be kind of built into the expectations for these guys. And hopefully one of them or two of them kind of pop by the end of the year. That was always the vision, but early returns, not necessarily great for Bates Diop, obviously. Uh, Eubanks, see what happens. And then maybe he's a guy that can close out a playoff game. But uh, yeah, that's that's a that should be interesting to track. Uh, Yuta Watanabe is obviously somebody who's hyped up a little bit. Uh, Eric Gordon is obviously like, I don't even count him like, in this particular discussion because he's kind of elevated above that, I'd say. like He's, exactly. he's going to be in the rotation pretty much every night. Yeah, that's why I excluded him too. Is like you kind of know what he is at this point, and like he just had a great game against Detroit, twenty-one eight and five with only one turnover, like playing a lot of point. So he's definitely a part okay. of their playoff rotation. So I'll I'll take that. But everything else is kind of a mystery box. Final question here on the Suns. Uh, Wednesday night they'll face the Chicago Bulls on the road. Friday night though in-season tournament matchup against the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, just your general impressions of, of the tournament so far and, and that, that kind of matchup. Well, the courts are definitely uh, courts. We'll say that. I mean, they're, they're very interesting. Um, overall, like I'm, I'm, I was like, def- like, okay, just to rewind the clock a little bit, just going back to the playing tournament. I was a huge fan of that. I thought that was a great idea, a great addition. Like I'm all about being innovative and everything. I just the in-season tournament, I just can't get sold on. Maybe I have to experience it. Like with the Suns, uh, it just feels like a, a money grab to me. Like I'm I'm not really too thrilled about it as like some people are. But you know what? Like if if things start to get crazy and like we get some some awesome finishes, like then then I'll I'm sure I'll change my mind. So I'm I'm open to being changed on that. But uh, at this point, I'm just kind of like it just feels like another regular season game. Like I'm not going to put too much stock into it. Um, I'm sure, you know, with the money stakes involved too, like there's gonna be a little bit more competitive juices flowing, but, uh, so that, that part of it's nice, but, but overall, yeah, I think these, these next two games, like, especially if Booker and Beal aren't back, it's, it's going to be tough for, for, uh, any Suns fans to get too, too invested, I would say. But, um, if Beal returns and it's the, the Lakers and like on a Friday night, can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, that would be an epic matchup. That's one that everybody's going to want to yeah. turn in, tune into, obviously. So keep an eye out for that one, Suns and NBA fans. Uh, no, I think it's it's going to be fascinating. There's no NBA games tonight when you're listening to this on, on Election Day. Uh, but it should be kind of fun to track on Tuesdays and Fridays specifically. Uh, that That's the easiest way to distinguish. Like Tuesdays and Fridays in November, those are when the in-season tournaments are happening, or when the in-season tournament games are happening. And if you need a reminder, you can uh, have your retinas kind of burned in by the the courts that are out there and the jerseys that they're putting on. So uh, there, there's there's a lot of easy ways to go about it. But uh, you think the Suns are basically eliminated from from tournament contention if if Booker and Beal aren't back? I don't know. Like I think they. It just depends how. I, I, like that Lakers game without Booker and Beal, like they they took them down to the wire and like they didn't scored like three points in the fourth quarter for I, mean, I think it was like six. It was what I ended up being, but they had a really rough stretch. So if they can just figure out how to shoot the ball and like they're at home. Like I, I think they could they could win that game and maybe build some momentum. But uh, it's it's gonna like like I said before, it's gonna be tough without those guys. If if other teams are really turning it up a notch too, like for the tournament, then. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I'm I'm very interested to see like how 
the Suns treat it as well. Cause it's, it's just, it's all fast. It's new. Like no one really knows what to expect. We'll just kind of it's play it by ear and see how things go. Well, we will see what happens. He is Brandon Duenas, who is covering the Phoenix Suns for AZ Sports Zone and host of the Locked On Suns. Uh, thank you so much. You also do Bright Side of the Sun, correct? Yeah, correct. Correct. Uh, sorry. Uh, also does Bright Side of the Sun, which is a fantastic SB Nation side. Make sure to go track all of his work over there. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for hopping on. And uh, once again, good luck for, for the rest of the season. We'll chat, chat in just a bit about the scariest players in the NBA. Really excited about this upcoming discussion. I wanted to have some fun here. I wanted to have some fun with you. So I, I kind of pitched this topic to you. I pitched this idea. I wanted to talk about the scariest players to face in the NBA because you and like uh, the Phoenix Suns just saw Victor Wembanyama and just saw the San Antonio Spurs uh, this this past week. And I thought that was such an interesting matchup. It's such an interesting back-to-back. Uh, just really quickly, your, your takeaways from facing Wemby and the Wemby experience. It was unreal. I've I've never seen anything like it, uh, especially from a rookie. Just seeing someone dwarf Kevin Durant is just uh, hysterical and terrifying at the same time. So um, some of the stuff he was doing is just like it feels like he's a 2K creative player where he's just you're just you turned all the sliders up, made him as tall as possible and just made him unstoppable. Like that's that's what he literally feels like. And I the fact that this is a rookie doing this um, is is crazy. And of course it's the Spurs, uh, that, that luck into it again. Like, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> that, that part is, uh, for another, another discussion, but, uh, yeah, no, that, that performance alone just makes me want to include him on this list already. Like that's, that's how crazy it was. It is funny. Like there's no way I could imagine him on Charlotte. Now there's no way I could imagine <laughs> him on Portland. Like there's just, no, it's just yeah. not a thing. Like he, he feels like the, the next iteration of the dominant San Antonio Spurs franchise where you go from David Robinson to Tim Duncan and out of Victor Wembanyama, Like it's just, it feels right, which might just make it wrong. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's the best way to put it for sure. It's been good. And he, uh, he deserves a, a spot or at least an honorable mention on this list. Uh, only played like what six games, seven games. So I, I don't think we could throw him on there just yet, but I wanted to, go through this with you i wanted to like basically over the last 25 years or so i want to talk about mm-hmm. the scariest players in the nba to face and when basically how i, how I frame this these are the players that you never want to see come to town because they're going to give your team hell every single time it's going to be an absolute nightmare it's going to be an absolute challenge and just a chore to face them because they are so dominant and so good uh, so I, I have a list of guys here, but I figured I'd give you the floor. Is there somebody that came to mind first for you in this conversation? Yeah, I think the immediate one, this one's a little bit obvious just from a just pure dominance perspective is uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Like, I, I just think there's there's nothing like, I don't think there's ever really going to be anything like him again. Like just how his, his presence and just when he, the way he commanded the ball and just like there's nothing you could do about it. Um, maybe besides send him to the free throw line, that, that's about it. But, uh, but yeah, that, to me, he was, he's the first one that pops up when I think of just pure, just dominance. And I, I just, I don't know if you, you agree with that, but I, I just think it's, it's tough to think of someone that was more dominant just from a present standpoint. He was the first guy on my list, man. Like that's kind yeah. of the, when, when I think of scary players, dominant players, players that you are worried when they come to the, like when they come to the arena, 
it's got to start with Shaq because yeah. he was he's a guy that they literally changed the rules for that you had to have three centers on your roster in order to guard him. And, and teams like changed their entire game plans around just so that they could deal with this absolute monstrosity in the middle of the floor. It was unbelievable to watch and, and unbelievable to kind of experience firsthand. But oh, he, he's he's the first guy that came to mind for me. Nice. Good to hear. Um, another one. I would say I'll, I'll just stick with like the bigs here for a little bit is uh, Tim Duncan, especially being a Suns fan. Like this dude would just have a stone cold look on his face and look almost bored and he would rip your team's soul out uh, at the same time. So that's, he was just, um, it wasn't as flashy. It was never flashy. It was just kind of like death by a million cuts. It just felt like it was never ending and he would just chip away at you all game. And uh, to me, I think he's, just on an all-time list perspective, like I think he's the most underrated player of all time. Like just his resume uh, speaks for itself. Obviously, he was on a great Spurs team, a dynasty that uh, people aren't going to forget anytime soon. But I, I just, I'd really think that he should be talked about uh, in in the same breath as Kobe. Like I think he's he's up there in that closer to the top five than Kobe is. Like I, to me, he's just uh, one of the closest players you can get to a goat resume without being in that initial top five yeah i mean he's he's tremendous he is a he's actually not the guy that came to mind for me with this and i think defining it as like scary players and and the guys that you're you're scared of individually i Mm -hmm. honestly associate him so much with the spurs and so much with just like that ethos as opposed to the individual side of things where i think he just he didn't come to mind as much for me in that regard but I mean, that, that's that's an, an omission on my part, obviously. Like he, he was, of course, dominant. He was, of course, fantastic. And having anybody else that I have in my honorable mentions over him on this list would be a travesty. So I, I'm with you on that. Like uh, the, the next guy on my list I had was Kobe Bryant. So like yeah. I completely understand and like I can I can completely understand kind of the juxtaposition between those two guys where Kobe, it was like fear. Uh, Tim Duncan, it almost felt like you're resolved to the situation, you know? <laughs> exactly and just be, especially being a Suns fan probably I mean both those got like we had some heated battles against both those teams uh, back in the seven second or last days and, and and Duncan especially really just sent those teams home early and and Kobe he's definitely on my list as well I think it's kind of a no-brainer with this uh just you know the the Mamba mentality right like he's he's coming to your building he, he's he wants to to put on a show and and go at you know, the best player and, and make it, make an impression right away. So I think uh, from that alone, yeah, just him. And then Kevin Garnett was another guy that has kind of that same mentality and, and mm-hmm. KG's on my list uh, as well. He's, he's someone that I think is also a little bit underrated on the all time thing. And just the attitude that he would play with like that, that was, uh, it felt almost infectious to wherever he went. And like that dude was talking, he was a psycho. And, uh, and you know, th- those are the types of players I think uh, kind of opposite of, Tim Duncan, but they, they definitely have that mentality of, you know, they're, they're coming to, to your city and they're, they're not trying to leave with, with a loss. That's for sure. Who would you be more scared to face in a regular season setting? Was it, would it be Kevin Garnett or Dirk Nowitzki? Ooh, regular season setting. I would say Dirk. Mm. Cause I, okay. I just feel like that, that dude would just get, he would just get hot and when, once i mean he, there's nothing you could do about his shot when I, whenever he gets going um in a playoff setting i would say kg yeah he's just one of those guys that 
especially in kind of the modern aspect of things, learning about how the modern NBA has really evolved. Dirk obviously mm-hmm. would be tremendous in the modern NBA too. Yeah. But there's just a different level of it with KG where he is like a, a Giannis, like Embiid hybrid in, in terms of what, what you're expecting from a guy like that. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I love KG as well. It's funny. My, my guy, uh, my guy Swiper, he and I did a, a top 20 all time list over the off season with, uh, with MHS and and I we got back we mm. got into it like I had Dirk on <laughs> higher than him on on KG on that list and those are uh, those are two all time greats obviously but two guys that on this list I I think I'd go with Dirk just in terms of the more scary guy just because there, there's nothing you can do about the shot. Yep. No, I, I'm right there with you and I mean there's there's so many bigs that I think could kind of fit that mold like even uh, like Jokic for me like. He has to be up there too. I know. Are you focusing more on? You want to focus more on like outside of this era, though, correct? Or, or oh no, I, I think we could go with this era too. I think it makes it it All makes right. it fun, makes it interesting. Would you include Jokic in this list? Oh, absolutely. And it's it's kind of similar in the breath of Tim Duncan, where he he may not be that that physically scary guy that's like a psychopath in terms of like a Kobe Bryant or Kevin Garnett, but you just know what you're going to get every single night. And to me, that's why you have to include him because. You know, we, he just tears you apart on, and it's it's just so effortless too. That's that's the scary part. So it's like those stone cold killers like like Duncan and Jokic that uh, show no emotion almost at times. Like not to say he doesn't show emotion because he does, but just compared to some of these other guys, like it's that's what makes it more almost like intimidating. I think just from a game by game basis. Yeah, I I know that there were like I cover Jokic obviously very closely. For those that don't know, like he's. He's awesome to watch. He is in control the entire time when he's out there. And I yep. think it reminds me a lot of LeBron James in that manner where you just know that when he comes to town, you know that he's going to be in control of the game. Like it's not going to like it's going to be a play to his pace. It's going to be played with the the passes in mind that he wants to make with the shots in mind that he wants to take. And there's just nothing that the opposing team can really do about it. They could force the ball to somebody else but most of the time that's because that guy is wide open so it's uh it's a a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people um Jokic is awesome uh I mentioned LeBron he's he has to be on this list as well okay Uh, I I, he's not the first guy that I listed though I I had listed Shaq first and I think I'd keep it as Shaq first just in terms of scariest Mm -hmm. guys to face I don't know if that's fair (laughs) I just I don't but uh, it's just when you when you think about your actual level of fear when guys come into the league and when they're coming into your building, how you're going to deal with it. I think I'm more afraid of Shaq in that regard, but, but maybe it's maybe that's wrong. Maybe it's because I've, I've already resigned to LeBron just like throughout his career, just dominating no matter what. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I think a lot of us kind of. Um, almost take what LeBron does for granted in a sense. Like, because I remember even myself, like I, I went back and watched like an old, just Miami Heat LeBron highlight tape. And I'm just like, good Lord. Like, and he's still, he's still running strong. Like it's some of the stuff he does is just crazy. So I think uh, it's almost like, I don't want to say take it for granted, but it's like, we're so used to it that I think once he's, once he hangs it up, we'll probably appreciate it a lot more because I, he's definitely, uh, especially at his peak, there is no one, no one like him really like it's just some of the stuff he, he does is just nuts so uh definitely on my list as well um but yeah him, him and Shacker, definitely two two of my top 
five guys for sure and uh, for different reasons. Yeah, c- completely different players and completely different attitudes when it comes to how to dominate a game. Um, mm-hmm. A guy you're very familiar with, Kevin Durant, uh, he's, he's going to be on this list for me. Stephen Curry going to be on this list for me. Um, yep. A little bit more modernized in terms of the actual shooting aspect of things and getting to spots on, on the perimeter and then hitting threes. But KD's still a mid-range assassin, as, as you're very well aware. Uh, what is it about his game that makes it so scary to face? I think just having a guard skill set at his size and release point, um, you could try to get as physical as you want with him. Um, so, sometimes it, it can bother him, but ultimately he's still going to get a shot off. He's going to get where he wants to get, and it's it's kind of like Jokic, right? Like you're, you're not going to block a shot, especially he has smaller dudes than, than Jokic guarding him because of how quick he is and how he can he can make you pay if you you put a, a bigger dude on him that's not as quick. So. Um, I think that combination of just size and, and uh, handle at his his size is like one of the first. Like he's just a freak. Like we've never really seen anything like that. And now you're starting to see like you know Wembenyama and you know, Chet Holmgren and like some of these guys. This next wave where it's almost getting normalized, um, but it's it's definitely not normal. So I think that's that's the best way to put it. No, it's fair. That's a that is a completely fair statement. Like it makes those guys freaks too. Like that's that's yeah. really where we're at. Uh, no, we should we should definitely mention Steph on this. There, there's yep. nobody I think in league history that you've been more scared to see when they cross half court with the basketball. Like you just mm-hmm. have to be accounting for that at all times. And and there's a list that the NBA GM survey does where it basically is like a similar question to this one. And, and Steph, he's obviously at the top of that for for so many years, basically ever since. Uh, winning winning his first MVP award, and he's been going strong ever since. Like, that dude, he's the guy that, of the modern era, I mean, he's the guy that you just know you're going to probably walk out of there with an L. Like, even whether he's yep. the guy who is shooting or whether he's the guy that's creating the open shot because you've sent two to him and there's a wide-open guy under the underneath the basket. Like, it is difficult to deal with, and he is a difficult player to deal with, too. Yeah, for sure. And not, yeah, the gravity that comes with him, it's not just about his ability to hit, you know, 30, 40 foot bombs like that's you have to worry about that, too. But just just being the primary focus of the defense and it still doesn't really matter. Like it's just in the spacing he op- opens up for everyone else. Like it really changed the game. Like it's you look at the the jump and three point shooting and just the the value in it. And if it feels like he kind of started that movement um, and there's some guys that I think could have been on this list like a Ray Allen. Uh, if he played in, in this era, I think he would have been perfect for it. Like he, he barely missed out. You know, if he was born 15 years later, he, he would have been, uh, I think probably in that, that same range, honestly, because he's, he's more athletic than, than Steph is and a little bit taller. So I think someone like him playing in today's game, like he's someone that could, could have made that cut for me. Um, but, but yeah, Steph re- truly revolutionized the game, not to get too off topic. He's, I think he's oh. uh, definitely deserves to be on this list. No, for sure. He's uh, a, the the greatest shooter ever. Like that's yep. probably a, a, a good de- definition when talking about scariest players to face in the league. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Any other guys that like that really stick out on your list? So I just, these are more like honorable mentions. Um, I feel like, and this is just at, at his peak. This is a dude that I think he didn't live up to like 
what I think he could have been. But when, when he was at his peak and he got on a heater, like you knew you're in trouble. Uh, Tracy McGrady, like that dude, mm. like injuries kind of derailed him a little bit. And, but like at his peak, I think he was one of the most gifted scorers. Uh, him, uh, Allen Iverson's another guy that I, I think also, uh, you knew exactly what he was going to do and it didn't really matter. He would just dissect every defense and, uh, at, you know, six, one, maybe, uh, it's just crazy that he was as dominant as he was. Obviously it's not completely different dynamic than like a Shaquille O'Neal where it's a seven foot monster you're dealing with, but he would still just be as dominant and single-handedly kind of led the Sixers to a title, um, or not a title, but making the, the championship. So, those are a couple guys I just felt like I, I should include. And then the the Pistons with like, you know, Ben Wallace, Rashid Wallace, Tayshaun Prince, Chauncey and Rip. Like I couldn't just pick one of them, but like just that, that team just to uh, kind of like what you said with the Spurs where they're just kind of, you remember them as, as a unit. A scariest team to face in the NBA where, you know, if you face them, you're probably scoring 65 that night. That's a, <laughs> that's, a, exactly. that's a tough one to, to go up against like that. I mean, can you imagine like, having to score like I, I know modern offenses have definitely improved but like those are top five defenders at each of their respective positions in the nba yeah. like it's just it's there was no gap there was no weakness there were all like these guys were tremendous and uh, ben wallace in particular like he's mm-hmm. very underrated by modern standards like didn't didn't make the yeah. all-star teams that probably could have didn't make like he does have the defensive player of the years, but for some reason it feels like defensive player of the year just in the grand scheme of things is not as valued in, in modern discourse, I guess that's probably because Rudy Gobert has been winning them. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> another scary, scary, uh, stifle tower to face in the NBA. Um, no, I, I wanted to, uh, like that. Those are good names. I'll throw out Dwayne Wade as, as another name yep. that shouldn't be missed here. Uh, I had several other guys that I, I we could probably go even more modern. We should mention Giannis too. Like yes, that was that was my next that, one. I was gonna throw in there. I think he's right there as well. Oh yeah, like I I consider him and Jokic kind of having like identical careers to this point, just like different style of players, and and where they go from here, I think will will kind of differentiate between who would you rather have all time. But right now, it could be either of them. Um, but I mean Giannis like. Having like watching him go in transition, there's there's really nothing like it in the NBA right now, yep. or like has been for for a while. So like he is even more of a freight train than somebody like LeBron was. Which I mean, that's says something. That's crazy. Um, who else? Uh, I've got Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic. Any of those guys uh, tickle the fancy? Yeah, I think uh, pretty much all the the guys you listed there um, were on my like the rest of my list. Um, I'll throw in Vince Carter. I think also at his peak was 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 a force and just how athletic he was. Like it was more of Showtime than it was like dominance. Like Dwayne Wade was another guy that you mentioned earlier that I think definitely um, if we're talking about peaks, like that that dude's peak was among one of the best we've ever seen at the shooting guard position. So I think he's definitely. Uh, at the very least, an honorable mention. I'm just kind of right on the brink there. Um, but, but yeah, overall, I think Giannis was like the pretty much the last uh, modern NBA guy I would throw on here. And Kawhi uh, obviously was a robot, like absolute freak. And, uh, you know, he still is. But, I mean, just at his peak in Toronto and the things he did with the Spurs, like it just it was not fair. 
Did we mention Harden? We did not. No, that's that's a mm. good one. That's yeah. I, I think I, I was going back through some how you lists. look at it. Yeah, I, you're right. Exactly. Like you're not necessarily fearing him in the playoffs, but I did. I went back through the list and God, he averaged 36 points per game in 2019. Like that's that that is closer to 40 than 30. Like which is I I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before, and we we may not see it again. But uh, no, he he should probably get a. We'll we'll give him a tiny mention in there. Um. Yeah. If I had to pick five names for the most dominant players of like the scariest players to face of all time, I'd probably go Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, Steph. I don't think I could. Can I put Jokic on there or am I going to be biased for putting Jokic on there? Um, let's pretend let's pretend you'll be biased. So you got to you got to choose a, a fifth. <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll be biased. And so I won't I won't pick Jokic. Um, let's, let's put KD up there. Let's put KD. So we got Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, KD, and Steph. Those are the, the five that I I think are of the last 25 years, the scariest to face all time. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much in, in alignment with me. Um, I think that fifth spot though, I I was kind of, that's where I had a lot of, I had my four and those are my top four, uh, in a different Mm -hmm. order, but those are my main four. Outside of that, I think you could throw Jokic, you could throw Giannis, you could. I think Durant's right up there as well. Um, yeah, that's 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 a tough one. I'm just gonna go out of left field and say Kevin Garnett. Why not? Hey, man, it's it's completely fair, and and we we should obviously mention Tim too. We should mention Tim Duncan. Yes, that's, uh, Tim Duncan. Yeah, that's maybe maybe he's the perfect fifth guy for for this list. Yep, there we go. Uh, it's there, just, he's the, the I middle never ground. Think of him when I think of scariness. You know, like is that is that wrong? Like it's just it's just. Not going through my brain, so. um, yeah. but it's been it's definitely fun to to watch, and it's good to look back on some of these guys as uh, different eras, different styles, different players. But uh, when, when you, a lot of teams are are scared where those guys are coming into the building. Yeah, and one more uh, Manu Ginobili, man, that dude. Speaking mm-hmm. of the Spurs, I mean, he wasn't he doesn't fit that scary bill either. But like that dude w- would tear you apart. Like he was the way he he would slice and dice, and he you know kind of invented flopping or or made it more a little more popular like kind of change the game like we talked about with Harden uh and and Steph to a lesser extent but I feel like Manu really kind of uh I don't want to say invented flopping because that's not fair because it's always been around but really kind of made it in point of emphasis for the league so anyone that does that I feel like uh you could kind of throw in that category perfected the art if you will yes Um, another Another guy that we should mention, uh, I want to mention, Zach Randolph in the Grindhouse. It is not like it's not <laughs> anywhere close to the level of these other guys, but love like it. that's I one where it. I think of where my mind goes, where I'm like, God, you know, it's gonna be hell. It's just gonna suck to, to be in in that particular building. And no, they like the the grit and grind Grizzlies were always just a nuisance and a pain to face, no matter what. And, and they won way more often than they lost. So. I, uh, yep. I got to give them a shout. No, that's, that's a good call. I think them and the Pistons are like, you know, those teams are like the last of a dying breed where they're maybe we'll see another one like down the road, but probably not with the way the game's trending. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, th- those teams I'll always remember fondly. Well, hey, Brandon, it was great to talk to you on, on this episode. Make sure everybody to go follow his work at AZ Sports Zone on Twitter. And make sure to go check out Bright Side of the Sun, Locked on Suns, and, and everything in between. Thank you so much 
for hopping on for this episode. Really, really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, man. Appreciate you having me on. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of The Alley-Oop with Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you're still listening, it would mean the world if you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you listen to on the audio side of things if you're listening to this episode. And if you're interested in more video content, once again, go check out that YouTube channel, The Alley-Oop with Ryan Blackburn. It is growing and I'd like for it to continue to grow. Uh, The best way for me to continue to monetize my content is to see that YouTube channel grow. So would love to see that happen. It would mean the absolute world for me. The next episode of the podcast will be on Friday. I'm recording with the Southwest Division guys. That is the Dallas Mavericks, Houston Rockets, Memphis Grizzlies, New Orleans Pelicans, and San Antonio Spurs. Really excited for that. Going to be a hell of a time. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Catch you guys on Friday.